listening to the DSW Podcast with James Ledger. Christo, welcome to the Disability Sport Wales Podcast. We're back and it's good to be back. I hope you all had a great Christmas and New Year's. I'm really excited to bring you a new series of podcasts with some really amazing guests and I can't wait to share who's going to be on the episodes and we're going to get straight into it. But make sure to check out our podcasts because they're coming to you on Podbean, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and also now YouTube. So make sure you check it out. Okay, we're starting with a cracker today. I'm really excited to have this guest on. She's so inspirational to me and many others throughout her career, and she continues to do that as well. She's a five-time Paralympic medalist, and she's been to four Paralympic Games. Let me introduce to you Libby Clegg. How are you doing, Libby? You okay? Hi, I'm good, thank you. That is, um, you know, a bit cringy when I'm hearing all my, all my accolades. Uh, you've been busy, <laughs> you've had some career, but uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. It makes me feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, thanks so much. But um, let, let's, let's get into it. Um, can we, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about, about your disability for the people who are listening maybe for the first time? Can you tell us about that? So I've got an eye condition called Stargardt's macular dystrophy and it's basically the loss of my central vision and it gradually deteriorates as I get older. So uh, very, very slight changes over the years. I predominantly see out my peripheral vision. However, at the moment, that's pretty rubbish <laughs> as well. So I just sort of uh, wander around and <laughs> hope for the best. <laughs> Like myself, no, it's, it's also always, always good to have a fellow uh, fellow VI blind person on the show. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's all right. I mean, I, I I feel like it's kind of a good thing in a way. You know, I, I could see quite a bit when I was younger, and it's it's gradually got worse. So I feel like I got the best of both worlds: the sighted one and the non the non sighted. <laughs> exactly. So even now, because I know I'm speaking and I can't see what's going on, on screen, but I'm hope I'm hoping you're there and. <laughs> And hoping, uh, yeah. So it's it's always funny to have another. It's, that, that's that half the face that's in the. You know, that's that's when I take a selfie <laughs> and I realise that my eye is the only thing in it, in my forehead. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, let's go. Into, let's talk about. So tell us about what your events were in the Paralympic Games, World Champs, Europeans, and Commonwealths, and all that. Tell us what you did, uh, and tell us a little bit about your your classification, if you don't mind. So I. Predominantly ran the 100 and 200 metres. Um, I did do the longer stuff when I was younger, but I'm a little too lazy for that now. Um, so just, yeah, 100 and 200 metres. And I competed in the T12 uh, classification initially, which is where you can either choose to run with or without a guide runner, but with no blindfold. And then I ended up moving classifications down into the T11 class, where... Like yourself, James, you have to wear a blindfold and run with a guide runner. <laughs> um, and it's basically like doing a three-legged race, but attached at the wrist rather than at the foot. And I can't even remember how many different championships I've been to over the years, but my first ever senior championships was in 2006 when I was 16. I competed in Assen 
in Holland and I won my first medal as well and that was in the 200 meters and it was a silver medal so it was a pretty special experience wow. um, yeah, yeah I, I feel like it's a really good analogy of, of like a, a three-legged race but tied to the hand in, instead of the foot and, and like <laughs> as, you, as you mentioned it like I've been going through and you know you've been fantastic with me over especially over the last year because I've I feel like I've kind of gone down a similar route to you where I've started as a kind of T12 and, and now gone to a T11 and yeah that 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 shift it even though obviously we don't have much sight anyway it, it is a change isn't it it is it can be really scary um just because wearing you know wearing the blindfold it, it kind of completely isolates you from everything else that's going on and your proprioception changes so your movement your which then affects your technique um I found as well I don't know about you James um, but I tended to drift a little bit if I could hear mm. you know like in the high pack in Loughborough for example if there's people talking on the side I kind of felt like I was drifting towards the sound a little bit um so yeah it's it's a massive change and doing the start blocks for example I mean you're basically just jumping into nothingness <laughs> when you come out of those so yeah you have to you have to be a bit fearless definitely and yeah and I agree about the sound it's this it's funny how much you know even when you take away even more a sense how much the the other senses uh, kind of take over and really kind of yeah drifting towards the sound because you think that's that's where where to go I guess isn't it it's just uh, quite a quite an interesting sensation it definitely is yeah it's uh it's strange but you know especially when you've got a good guide runner it feels really easy and smooth and natural um and it does take a lot of communication and commitment from both sides to, to get it right you mentioned it there about your your first kind of uh international me- medal i think 2006 you said but where did it where did it all start for you Lib? like where when did you get involved in sport and, and, and how did you get involved in sport I mean for me it started in school I just absolutely love sports day um I like being competitive even though it's quite shy and I didn't really talk to anybody um as soon as it came to sports day I was like oh yeah you know a bit of competition um and then it was only when I was nine I got diagnosed with my eye condition um and I just I really wanted to join my local running club and it and it sort of gave me an opportunity to develop a different identity um so in school I was like the sort of weird kid that then now had classroom assistants and all that other jazz going on and then when I went to training to athletics I was just like everybody else and it just made me feel really normal and nobody really knew like my coaches knew what was going on, but, you know, the other kids didn't really know what was going on. And um, even when they found out, they were really like, you know, non-judgmental. They were really supportive. So it just was an opportunity in a place that I just felt like I could be me. Um, and then, yeah, I just sort of got more and more involved, started going training a bit more. And um, it just sort of developed from there, really, sort of snowballed a bit. Um, and I went to British Blind Sport, did a you know, like a have a go weekend where I met lots of other blind kids as well. And that was really it for me. I just felt normal, <laughs> normal. Um, yeah. And then I just, just stuck at it, to be honest, stuck it out. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think many people were, will relate, especially myself. I, I felt the same, like, you know, I think wanting to, to feel normal, whatever normal is and, and is, is, is finding that setting that that makes you feel comfortable in in, in your own body and, and being comfortable with who you are as a person I think 
Um, and I think, yeah, no, regardless of what disability you have or, or, or non-disability, like I think we all search for kind of wanting to fit in and not wanting to stand out, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I totally went through that, like just wanting to fit in with everyone and you don't want to be different, especially when you are a teenager. It's, you know, it's difficult as, a, you know, as it is being a teenager, let alone when you've got a disability and you're even more different from everyone else. You know, it's it's really hard. So, yeah, like athletics for me was just a place where I kind of could just be me and no one really judged me. Um, but, yeah, even like the whole thing about trying to fit in, I mean, it took me years to just you know not care that I couldn't see very well uh, but it's quite liberating when you finally get to that place yeah and, and when would you say that was Lib was it when you know you were going to the Paralympic Games and and winning medals or was there can you remember a moment in in your life where you thought do you know what I'm happy with who I am I, I'm proud of who I am do you know actually it's really interesting it, it's gonna it's a lot more recent than you think so I've got obviously my guide dog Hattie I, I, I'll like it's a long winded story but I'll explain where where it's all going basically I've got my guide, guide dog Hattie and it took me quite a big thing to get Hattie because I don't really like people knowing that I can't see very well it's not that I don't really want them to know it's just I can't be bothered giving them a life story you know when you, you you know when you're rocking about on your own trying to like you know fumble into things and bump, bump your way through places you know you feel like people think you're a bit ignorant or you feel like you have to explain yourself all the time but I don't want to use a cane I didn't want to use a dog um but I came up with this situation where I ended up having to uh, basically I walked into the road when I shouldn't have walked into the road I didn't realize I was in the middle of the road I missed the curb and was walking in the middle of the road at pitch black at night and my mum and dad were really cross and like you know what Libby you need to get a guide dog or you need to use your cane I thought I don't want to use my cane it makes me look disabled and I thought, so I applied for Hattie, being, you know, a guide dog, because um, I thought, you know what, the in, I, I was a bit unsure about it, but I thought, you know what, the interaction that the British public have with dogs is always positive. I've never seen a blind person with a dog ever, you know, really. It's very rare that you hear anything negative about it. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to just apply for a guide dog. And, you know, having Hattie, I kind of just didn't really care because she kind of gave me that confidence to be like, oh, you know, people know straight away I can't see, I don't have to explain myself. But I would never, ever use my cane still. Even when Hattie's like not been well, I wouldn't use my cane because I don't want to look blind, even though Hattie evidently makes me look blind. (laughs) Um, It's a bit strange. And it was only this year when I've actually used my cane and not cared. It was actually in November of last year that I thought, you know what, I'm going to use my cane and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. So, and that's me, you know, 31. Yeah. So I think I've gradually got better over the years, but that for me was just like, I've used my cane and I really don't care what anybody thinks about me. And it was quite liberating. That's all. That's really interesting. Yeah. And you touched upon the wonderful Hattie, the the star. I, I know you've become an author and you've written a book about, about life with Hattie. And just touching on that a little bit more, talk about... Talk about, I guess, what the, the role of a guide dog does for, for people who are not, not aware. How, how has Hattie um, helped you in, in, in day-to-day life? So the obvious thing is that she gets me from A to B. So mm-hmm. I get that mobility support from her. But actually, the bigger thing that she gives me is like confidence and 
it's that interaction with other people you know I've had so many situations where you know I've had to go oh excuse me I'm registered blind I can't read this can you please help me and it gets really boring because you know it'd be nice just to be oh can you give me a hand you know not have to tell everybody what's going on and Hattie just has that instant you know icebreaker people want to say hello to the dog they know straight away that you have a level of vision that actually you know you're not gonna be able to necessarily read something so people are much more friendly and interactive with you and it's that for me that actually is the biggest like positive about having a guide dog it's it's that you know that icebreaker for other people they don't feel awkward um they just you know they just want to say hello to the dog really (laughs) you're kind of irrelevant um and it just makes it so much easier to sort of get help and support, especially, you know, when you're in a restaurant or something, you need a hand reading the menu or, you know, you're trying to buy clothes and you want to know what size something is. You know, it's just there's no real awkwardness about it. It's just an instant given that, you know, you can't see very well and they're going to just help you anyway because they want to say hello to the dog. Whereas a cane, I always feel like people don't know what level of vision you have and feel awkward or uncomfortable. and They don't know what to say or where to look. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And where can you find the book, Lib? Is it is it on Amazon? How how can you how can people listen to it or, or buy the book? So the easiest way to listen to it is to download it off Audible, or you can buy like a hard copy off Amazon. They're they're the easiest places to get it from, and you probably get it the next day too. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, do you ever find? Cause, no, I've seen I've seen videos and and things in the past about. You know, Hattie, when she's got her harness on, she's a working dog, isn't she? So mm-hmm. do you have to be quite careful in terms of how she does interact with the public? Because, you know, at the end of the day, when she has the harness on, she's, yeah, she she's has a job to do, which is to keep you safe, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So when she's got a harness on and I'm holding the handle, that yeah. to her is a really clear indication that she's working. When I drop the handle down, she knows that she can sort of relax a little bit. Okay. Um, so that's quite a good indication. But most people normally ask me if they can stroke her, which is, you know, before they just go for it, um, which is quite good. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, you just, sometimes you just have to be a bit more relaxed about those things because, you know, we, you know, not everyone's perfect, you know, kids like to say hello to her and, and whatever. But yeah, when, when she's working, she's got a harness on. And then to be honest, she's not working right now. She's just chilling in her bed. <laughs> and she can't be bothered with me <laughs> she'll just come back to me when she wants some food in fact she knows I've just said like we're talking about her because I've just heard her in the other room giving a little shake so <laughs> so she does get sick of you as well yeah <laughs> oh definitely yeah she just takes herself off into the room and has a little snooze oh that's so good no I, I definitely and I've I've listened to it as well and it's a fantastic book and it's a fantastic insight in 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 how how a dog can can it impact a person's life it's, it's it's really really amazing but yeah so oh yeah no she's great is it you've had quite the career lib let's say you know commonwealth games european world paralympic champion record holder also off the track as well you know you've, you've had a stint on dancing on ice uh you know <laughs> question of sport you know has it been a highlight for you you know it's really every experience is different every games has been different um you know you take the you know it's not all great all the time either but I think for me 
in terms of my sporting sort of accolades this year well not I keep saying this year but now last year in Tokyo probably was my proudest Paralympic moment just because um I got to be I win a medal as a part of a team and it's you know it it's never something that I've really been a part of and it was just great to sort of share that experience with those guys so Ali Smith and Nathan Maguire was their first Paralympic medal ever and you know it was great to be on a team with Johnny Peacock who obviously has already medaled you know he's already been to you know what be his now third games in Tokyo but it was nice just to share that experience with somebody else that you know that's you know really Johnny's still quite young I mean he could carry on he could carry on a, a lot longer and it's just nice to sort of be a part of a team with him him too so yeah it was it was a it was a really special moment I was so, so glad it was my last race and I got to be a part of such a big moment for for those guys as well yeah and obviously I know you personally and what it took for you to, to even get to the games you know you had a few little injuries as well so <laughs> you know for, for what you did you and you Chris Clark your amazing guide and your amazing coach who was who has helped me out over the last year as well Joe McDonald like it's, it's been a real team effort wasn't it to 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 get you where you needed to be it was a bit of a hairy moment at one point let's face it I mean I probably wasn't even going to be there so yeah I think it was it was great for that all to come together and just to sort of close that chapter on my life as well really it was a nice a nice ending for me and like you say you know I've had amazing people around me like Joe and Chris and um, they've supported me all the way so it was nice to sort of just end, end it like uh, like that really amazing uh, it's Gives me goosebumps because no, I I looked looked at you as a as a real inspiration for for all my career and and I continue to do that you know with with what you got going on in the future. But uh, now let's talk about li- the little man in your life, your your son. How's how's he doing? Do you know what he is absolutely amazing? He's three in April and I just wow. can't believe it. To be honest, I can't believe how the time's gone. It's just absolutely flown by. Um, but no, he's amazing. He he just makes me happy every day. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> we've spoken to a proud mum, proud mum for sure. But we've spoken, you know, in, in depth, like, because I've had my own, you know, my own personal fears about, about having a child and, and being registered blind, you know. And I'm sure, you know, many people listening might feel the same or, you know, other people might just be interested. So did you, you know, before you had your son, you know, did you what what were your fears and and how have you kind of overcome them or or adapted because you know that's what we do in as, as having disability don't we 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 adapt to the world around us so how did you adapt or how did you address some of the fears you might have had so one of my biggest fears was that if you know edward was going to be ill that i wouldn't necessarily notice so you know, if he had like a rash or you know if he just you know something wasn't quite right i wouldn't notice um, and that, that was like my biggest fear that there's going to be medically something that I wouldn't see and then not be able to like look after him properly. Um, but also, you know, it's just, I, I realized that a lot of my, you know, other fears, like, you know, are they going to stop breathing in the night? <laughs> They're things that normal parents think about whether they've got a disability or not, or, you know, how much they, you know, milk they're drinking. I'm a, you know, is the bum actually clean and <laughs> all these sorts of things. Um, and I realised a lot of the things I was worrying about were just things that normal parents were, you know, had fears about. My biggest thing was that 
I knew that I would adapt to being a parent and I would just learn a way to do something and take a bit longer to do it probably. But it was the people around me, you know, I had a few questions like, oh, how are you going to look after your child? Are you going to have home support? And it made me question myself a little bit, like, am I actually capable of being a parent? And it wasn't really a very nice feeling because, you know, some of these people that were asking these questions were quite close to me. And I just thought, oh, gosh, like, you know, do people think I shouldn't really, you know, have a child? Anyway, I got over that. Yeah, I, I realised you, you just your instincts kick, kick in and just take over and it's just com- becomes really natural and you just sort of know instinctively what to do. Um, and, you know, yeah, sometimes he has a snotty nose. And I don't see it, but it's fine. <laughs> you know, kids are kids, aren't they? At the end of the day, you can't be perfect and you don't want them to be perfect, really. Because, uh, you know, they don't like, develop the little personalities. Um, but like little things like, you know now Edward's getting a bit bigger um like going to a park and things now gives me like major anxiety because I have no idea if he runs off like I have no idea where he's gone so um I've explained to him that you know mommy's eyes are broken and you know Mm. can can he wait with me or if I say come back you need to come back because I can't see you and it's dangerous and um like if I can't read things or you know find something in the house I just explain to him you know remember my eyes are broken they don't work like yours do and he's like oh okay um funnily enough that he tried to uh fix Dan's eyes by the way with a screwdriver so <laughs> yeah I told him his, uh <laughs> nearly poked one of them out uh, <laughs> but yeah so he you know he kind of understood well, at least knows that screwdrivers for fixing stuff but <laughs> just not your eyes um so yeah it's just like navigating that whole side of things but you know we've had his eyes tested and one of my fears was that I would pass on my condition to him um and Dan was worried about passing his condition on to him as well but you know his eyes seemed to be fine and we've just kept tabs on it but for me I wouldn't have treated him any differently whether he had a sight impairment or not I would have treated him exactly the same so yeah just might get his driving lessons in a bit early since he hit 16 yeah, <laughs> pay him to be the little taxi driver yeah <laughs> <laughs> you talked about that instinct actually uh, and you know you talked to a lot of mothers about that the mother's instinct and you know I guess a lot of that is done through sight and you can just kind of sense if if your if your child is is unwell or sad or, or sad but yeah I think as you, as you mentioned like I think you don't have the sight but I'm sure you know, you, you have an instinct and have a feeling if, if Edward's feeling down or feeling ill, I guess yeah, naturally, definitely. don't you? You naturally do. I mean, even when he was a baby and he couldn't talk to me or tell me off like now, but, you know, when he was baby, you can hear the different cries. You, you learn the different cries and it sounds so, when you're not a parent, you're like, oh yeah, whatever. Like a baby's cry is just a baby's cry, but you do hear the difference in it and you know which ones like when they're hungry or when they're overtired or, you know, if something is wrong, if they're not well. And you do just instinctively know that. Um, and if anything, you're probably more cautious than the other way, you know, oblivious. So, you know, it's better to be like that, I think. Um, but yeah, you'd naturally just sort of know what you're doing, really. Yeah. With the with bum changing, I was a bit worried. I was like, oh no, this is going to be a bit of a minefield. Um, and 
worst case scenario you should just you know give him a little wash in the sink <laughs> <laughs> I was like oh I'm not 100% sure that was an up the back one and it's in his hair and in his ears I'm like yeah just gonna stick him straight in the bath it's fine yeah I'm not I gonna start stressing about, about that <laughs> I remember you telling me about the bath and I was just in hysterics I just you know I just chuck him in the bath it's <laughs> fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely I mean there's like um I looked up there's like a few little tips like um I met a blind lady and she was telling me she puts, you know, one of those marathon like foil blankets, you know, the ones that heat you up and stop you from getting hypothermia. So she folds one of those and puts it under her children's high chair. So if they throw anything on the floor like food, she can hear it. (laughs) So she can get it before the dog does. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um and she puts like little bells on um on her kids shoes so she can hear them which yeah. I thought was quite a good idea um yeah, yeah, yeah. so see how long that'll last maybe 16 years old running around with a little bell on her shoes <laughs> <laughs> um so there's like little like tricks and things you can learn but you know most of it's just instinct and yeah. just working out yourself what what works best for you yeah and as, as we said like I think you know we what we do naturally uh very well as, as having a disability is adapting to things quickly isn't it um because we have to and i think that's just a, another example of, of 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 doing that with with um having a child and i think it is a kind of scary thought like, like anything's a scary thought until you do it isn't it or until you have a child but yeah until that moment comes i think yeah that their natural instincts just take over and, and that adaptability we we've got kind of embedded to us it is comes comes to forward doesn't it yeah definitely it, it, it just just takes over so no and it's the best it's the best thing I love I love being a mum it's my favorite thing ever super mum <laughs> oh I don't know about that <laughs> don't like the early mornings <laughs> yeah. yeah so Lib so my final question to you is is what what advice, what, what guidance would you give to people who maybe just starting their sporting journey, whether they are, whether they're visually impaired, visually blind or, or any other disability, what, what advice would you give them? For anyone just starting, I would just say enjoy it and just do what you love doing. Don't ever take the fun out of something because as soon as you take the fun out of it, you, you know, your motivation goes, it becomes a chore. So just enjoy it. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to be Paralympic champion. As long as you're happy and enjoying what you're doing, that's all that matters, really. Exactly that. Thank you so much, Lib, for, for coming on the show. We, all of us at Disability Sport Wales, really appreciate your time. And uh, we wish you all the luck for your future endeavours, I'm sure. Thank and, uh, you. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. No, no, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, as always, it's always good to see you. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you up uh, at Bluffborough very soon. Definitely. (laughs) Thank you so much to our listeners as well. Uh, Make sure to check out the full episodes we have on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and now YouTube. So make sure to check them out and uh, I'll see you all there soon. Thanks very much. Hi, I'm Libby Clegg and you are listening to the Disability Sport Wales podcast.